Well, good morning. It's really great to see all of you this morning. If you go ahead and open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 5, Mark chapter 5, and we're going to be taking our study from verses 21 through 43. Uh, Brent's out of town this morning. Brent's out of town and he's uh, preaching a meeting in El Paso. And so it's certainly great to, to have this opportunity to speak to you all this morning. So in our scripture reading in James chapter 1 that George read for us, James chapter 1 verses 5 through 8, it's interesting how James tells us and tells really those struggling Christians, those Christians in the midst of a trial, that they ought not think that if they pray without faith, that their prayers will be answered. What a shocking statement that must have been for them to hear, for those Christians who are struggling in the midst of their difficulties, struggling with faith, for them to hear their prayers aren't going to be answered if they do not pray with faith. What a shocking statement. Why is it that we struggle praying with faith that God will fulfill our request to Him? Why is it that we struggle with that? If I'm honest, I think that it's because our perspective always, because our perspective of God is tweaked. And I think it's often really tweaked in one of two ways. We struggle having faith that God will fulfill our requests either because we struggle believing that God has the awesome power to be able to fulfill our requests and that he can actually do something about our situation. Or it's because we struggle believing that he loves us enough to use his power to fulfill our request in that situation. See, we intellectually know of God's power. We intellectually know of God's love. But we all know, in the midst of turmoil, it's really difficult to have faith in that power and in that love. Absolute confidence that he will act when we pray to him. Not only does James tell us there in James chapter 1 that these types of prayers are absolutely fruitless. Don't we all personally know that when we pray these prayers, it just ends up leaving us in hopelessness and depression. We pray prayers, but we kind of in the back of our mind, we think, is anything really going to happen with this? That's a pretty depressing prayer to pray, isn't it? Consequently, because of this, I believe we must pursue absolute faith and conviction in our prayers because James tells us there in James chapter 1 that our prayers will be heard and will be answered if we pray with faith. But how is it that we can pursue unwavering faith in our prayers? Greater faith, I believe, is always developed by coming to know our great Lord more deeply and more intimately. And so what we're going to do this morning in Mark chapter 5 is we're going to study Mark chapter 5 verses 21 through 43. And in this picture, there are two healings, really a miracle within a miracle presented. And these healings, I believe, paint a very clear picture of Jesus, the Son of God in His infinite power and His infinite compassion towards us so that our faith and prayer might be built. So you notice there in verse 21 that the text tells us that Jesus crossed the Sea of Galilee and as he came to the shore, as he came to the beach, he and his disciples, they get out of the boat and what are they met with at the shore? But a great, great familiar scene with a great, great crowd there waiting for Jesus. But in the midst of all those crowds, who do you see come to the front? But Jairus, 
one of the rulers of the synagogue, he comes, this great man comes as he sees Jesus. He runs forward to him, breaks through the crowd, falls at Jesus' feet, and says, Jesus, I have a little girl who is sick to the point of death. Will you come to my house so that you can heal her? And Jesus, in the midst of all these crowds of people thronging to see him, follows this one man to his house. And so as they start making the journey to his house, Mark tells us that the crowds are still thronging there in verse 24. They're still following him. But in verses 25 and on, we learn that there is another woman who is seeking healing that Mark wants to tell us about. There is a lowly woman And this woman is a woman who has gone through great and terrible pain in her life. And honestly, it's difficult for our words to even compare to the great pain of this woman. This woman had a flow of blood, a permanent flow of blood, it seemed like. As the verses go on to tell us there, it it tells us that she had been going through this problem for the last 12 years. The last 12 years she had had this flow of blood. She had gone to physician after physician after physician. And you know the doctor's bills are racking up and the text tells us she's got no money left. Every penny she has has been spent at these physicians. And she has only suffered at these doctor's hands, at these physicians' hands. And her situation has only gotten worse and worse as time has gone on. And she has absolutely no hope until now. Until now. In fact, we hear that this woman, if you go back to Leviticus chapter 15, you don't have to turn there, but in Leviticus chapter 15, we learn that this woman's pain would have not just been physical, but it would have been very uh, very problematic in the community, very spiritual as well. For Leviticus chapter 15 verses 25 through 27 tells us that women in this situation, women in this situation who have this constant flow of blood would be constantly, constantly unclean. No temple. Every bed or chair that you sit or lie on is unclean. This woman probably would not have been married. She would have been a complete and absolute social outcast with no opportunity to participate in public religious things that went on in the tabernacle, in the temple. Yet this woman had heard about Jesus, we hear. We hear that this woman had heard about the reports about Jesus and all that he had done. And so she thought, I must go in the midst of all these crowds and I've got to touch him. For she thought in her mind, Mark tells us there, she thought, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. There in verse 28. And in the midst of the thronging crowds, this woman broke through and she touched his garment. And in an instant, this woman's 12-year-year incurable disease was gone. She was healed. She felt it in her body at that instant. Everything about this woman's life changed like that. Just touching the fringe of Jesus' garment. But Mark also tells us that that woman, 
that woman did not go unnoticed. Jesus knew exactly what happened as soon as she touched his garment and she heals him and he heals her. Oh, Jesus knows the power went out from him. He felt the power go out from him. And so Jesus turns about looking for the woman who touched me, who touched me. Of course, the disciples are a little bit confused about this. You may have heard the story before. The, the disciples are a little confused. There's probably hundreds of people surrounding Jesus, thronging, pressing up against him. And, and the disciples say, uh, Jesus, uh, the, you see the crowd, it's pressing up against you. Yet you're asking who touched you. But Jesus continues to look about who touched me, who touched me. Imagine being in this woman's situation. You, unclean, lowly woman, already bad enough that you're going out in this crowd and being around all these people. Now you've gone and you've touched one of the most prominent teachers of the day and tried to get away with running away and not revealing yourself. (laughs) And now he asks for you to show yourself there in the midst of that crowd What have you done? How frightening that must have been. But as Jesus asked for the person to reveal himself, herself, she goes forward and the text tells us, Mark tells us that she told him the whole truth. She told him exactly what happened. I don't know what she was expecting, but Jesus looked down at her in great love and compassion and said, woman, Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Oh, what an awesome words to hear. As this woman now leaves, her life changed forever. And everything seems great until we realize that this whole scene has held up the reason that Jesus was walking over there, walking around in this area in the first place. Jairus, Jairus' daughter is still waiting. Jairus is probably standing there wondering, let's go, man, let's get moving with this. My daughter, I told you, she's dying. But as Jesus is still speaking, messengers come from Jairus' house with bad news. Messengers come from Jairus' house and they come to him and in verse 35 they say, Your daughter's dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? What a heartbreaking moment that must have been for Jairus. Jesus has just confirmed Jairus' beliefs about Jesus that he can heal anybody that can he can heal any disease but this man's just a teacher his daughter is dead she's not just sick anymore she's dead his faith had just been bolstered for everything to be pulled away all hope to be gone in an instant but Jesus looked to Jairus and said do not fear only believe. And so then Jairus follows Jesus. Jesus sends everybody else away. Jesus sends all the crowds away. Leave me alone. I'm going with Jairus alone. And Jairus, Jairus, Jesus, John, James, and Peter alone are allowed to continue on to the house to see this potential healing. And as Jesus goes on to the house and gets walks into the house... 
They walk into this scene of great, great lament. Oh, the mourners are already there making a great, great commotion, wailing. Already there wailing over this woman, this little girl's death. It was a scene of great sadness, but Jesus walked into that house with great confidence. I love his words there in verse 39. Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. Oh, they laughed and laughed and laughed. It's funny how that mourning turns to laughter as they scoff at Jesus and mock him for his words. But Jesus continues on and sends them out of the house. Continues on into this room with Peter, James, and John. And of course, the parents of this little girl. This little girl who is dead. This little 12-year-old girl. I wonder what unbelief might have been in that room. But as Jesus walked in there, Jairus, Jairus' faith had been bolstered by Jesus. And they walk in there and... And as they watch Jesus, he walks over to this little girl and he takes her by the hand and says, little girl, I say to you, arise. And in a moment, she got up. In an instant, she got up and she began walking around. The little girl, folks, was dead as a doornail. She was a corpse. And Jesus just walked in there and raised her from the dead with a few quiet words. Oh, what rejoicing was in that room. The room, we're told, was filled with awe and amazement. They were overcome with amazement there in verse 42. Jesus goes on and says, give her some food. Don't tell anyone. Meaning, this miracle is for you and for your eyes and for your memories alone at this moment. Of course, until now when it's revealed to us here in this room. Two fantastic miracles, I believe, are given to us in this passage. Two awesome miracles, two awesome revelations of glory. But why? Why out of many, many accounts of Jesus, what about these two particular individual miracles should create unwavering faith in our hearts in prayer? I believe the first thing that Mark emphasizes in this account is Jesus' divine power. This is obvious, obviously seen uh, as Mark goes into great, great detail about this woman. I like there in verses 25 to 26 as, as Mark goes into great, great detail about this woman with the flow of blood. It says, And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, rather she grew worse. Twelve years. No money. All the physicians. She only gets worse. Yet Jesus comes in to the scene of this woman's life and she touches the his garment and everything is healed in an instant. That incurable disease that no physician could touch, rather no physician could only make it even worse. Mark emphasizes the divine power of Jesus with the little girl as well. I just love in this passage how Jesus really disproves everybody and what everybody is thinking in this passage. In verse 35, those messengers come along and they say, Your daughter's dead. Why bother the teacher any longer? Don't miss that phrase, teacher. Mark has written this gospel to prove to us that Jesus is without a doubt the Son of God and they have gone on and called Him teacher. 
Jesus may be able to heal, but he, he does not have any power over death. Just a teacher, just a prophet. The mourners doubted Jesus as well. Everybody doubts Jesus. They laugh at him. But as Jesus enters into that room to heal that little girl, I'm mindful of the other people who have walked in rooms with dead people in them. I think especially of Elijah and Elisha. You remember in 1 Kings and 2 Kings, Elijah and Elisha, when they separately walk into their rooms to heal those dead little boys. What do they do? Well, they pray to God. They get on top. They lay themselves out on top of the little boy. They get up. They walk around the house. They go back. They lay themselves out on top of the little boys. And then finally, uh, slowly, they raise from the dead. But you know what Jesus does? Jesus is no teacher or a prophet. Jesus walks in that room, takes her hand and says, arise. And she gets up like that. That is divine power. This is the Son of God. As Colossians 1, 15-17 says, He is the image of the invisible God. He created life. By Him all things hold together. He sustains life. And right here in this passage we see Him heal the broken and restore life to the dead. Christians, we must remember exactly who it is that we are talking to when we pray. We are not praying to someone whose arm is short to save. When we pray, we aren't even speaking to one who creates and sustains life. We are talking to the one who thought of the idea of life in the first place. We're speaking to a God who can make mountains appear out of nowhere. We're speaking to a God who can cause kingdoms to rise and fall. Who can erase diseases and cancers with a touch and restore life to a dead corpse with a word. I believe that knowing this and having this knowledge should should convict us. Because how could we even dare to pray to this God doubting his power and doubting his ability? We have these illnesses, afflictions, worries, and fears that we should be longing to plead with our Lord with because we know of his great and awesome power. Yet how is it that we can go and kneel and mutter these prayers wondering if our situation is actually beyond God's power? Is it too late? What's he actually going to do about this? I'll say this prayer because I know I'm supposed to, but what's really going to happen? It honestly causes me to tremble as I think about these times where I've prayed to God and questioned his power because we're just we're disrespecting God. We disrespect God in these prayers. But how impacting, how impacting would it be for us to sear this picture, this picture right here in our minds of what Jesus does, these healings. This is how my faith has been built lately. The physicians there, just picture this in your mind. The physicians are scratching their head. The mourners are scoffing. And Jesus walks in and speaks life and healing into existence. As we see Jesus perform miracles like these, casting out demons, stopping storms, raising the dead, He's telling us a very important message about His power. No force in all physical and spiritual creation can match the Creator. When you pray, pray with that scene on your mind. Mind. 
Pray with that scene as you see a dead corpse that no one believes can be raised, that no one has faith in, that can that it can be overcome, that death can be overcome, and it is overcome. Pray with that scene in your mind. Pray with these scenes of Jesus' awesome display of divine power seared into your memories and pray with faith and divine power. The second thing that we see in this passage is we see Jesus' awesome and divine compassion. This is really emphasized throughout the story. It's seen at multiple points. First, you see in the beginning, there's this crowd of people, this sea of people. And one man, one man comes and he humbles himself and asks Jesus to follow him to his home. Oh, how Jesus must have loved that man as soon as he saw him humble himself, this man humbled by desperation. Let me ask you, does an impersonal, unloving God follow one man to his house when the crowds are thronging? No. No, if our God is impersonal, not compassionate, and unloving, I'm busy with the people, I'm busy with the crowds... Follow you? Yeah, right. But Jesus follows this one man to his house. Jesus will halt anything and everything to save one distressed person. And in fact, in the situation, was this miracle revealed for everybody to just watch and awe and look at Jesus and just consider his power? No, it was compassionate, simple, personal, private. Don't tell anyone about this. This is for your eyes only. Our God has a great personal touch, doesn't he? This is seen as you continue on in the story with the woman and the crowds of people. She comes up, this lowly woman, and she's healed. And she tries to be healed discreetly. You notice that she tries to be healed discreetly. But is Jesus up for that? No, he's not up for that at all. Why? Why is it that Jesus seeks out this woman? I mean, really, she's been healed. The job is done. She can go along her business. Why make her stand up and tell her what, tell you what she's done and then you look to her and talk to her about it? Why does he want to see her? It's because the job is not done. Jesus is not interested in impersonal healings. Jesus wants to see this woman. Jesus wants to talk to this woman. And when she reveals herself, he speaks to her with awesome love. Jesus wants her to know when she walks away that she has not been healed by some impersonal God. Jesus wants her to know that the creator of the universe knows her, knows her pain and loves her. That's why he talks to her. What a great loving God we have. And so I will say it again. We must remember who we're talking to when we pray. When we pray, we are not praying to a God who does not care. We are not praying to a God who does not know our trouble. We are praying to a God who formed us individually in our mother's womb. We are praying to the God who will seek out one individual in the midst of a crowd and seek out one family and make an impact on one family and one individual when crowds are waiting, when he could be easily kept busy elsewhere. Jesus knows when we wake up in anxiety. 
Jesus knows when we wake up and our hope is empty. Jesus knows when we are crushed by despair. We have so much more value in God's eyes than we could ever even imagine. We have so much more value in God's heart than we know. His heart aches when we hurt. But how He rejoices when we pray to Him with faith in His power and His compassion. He is longing for us to pray to Him with that faith in His compassion and power. And so let us not only pray with this picture of God's awesome power, raising the dead, healing incurable diseases in our mind, but let us also pray with the picture of Jesus' great and awesome compassion. Compassion for individuals, compassion for you and me, knowing what is going on in our hearts, knowing our pain. How often does this, do the Gospels describe Jesus in this way? As He looks out at the people, He knows what's going on in their lives and He has great, great compassion for them. Our God knows, our God sees, and He cares about what's going on. How can we not pray to God with faith in His awesome divine love and compassion with these accounts on our mind as we pray? How can we not pray with that faith? And so then I believe in conclusion, if we will pray with these pictures of God's divine power over everything, divine love that uses that power for our good, this will create absolute certainty in God when we pray. And if we pray like this, then we will start to see our prayers answered. But certainly... I do not want to give the impression in any of this that if we just had more faith in prayer, then we would never experience any pain, then we would never experience any heartache. We know that's not true. Though if we pray with faith, we will see more prayers answered. I don't want to give us the wrong perception about that. In fact, this passage right here in Mark chapter 5 would deny that, wouldn't it? Because this woman with the discharge of blood, she had faith, didn't she? She had pretty awesome faith. She suffered for 12 years before she was healed. This man had great faith, yet his daughter died. These people in the story suffered. But what does this teach us then? Though these people had faith and they had probably prayed before, this teaches us that faith then is not only, is not only absolute confidence, unfailing confidence in God's healing, but faith is also seen when it does not waver when prayers are not answered with a yes or in the time frame we desire. But I think we have a problem still. How can we reconcile this? If we say that we have an all-powerful and all-loving God, does this not mean then that by definition He will answer every single request we give to Him? He is all-powerful and He is all-loving. And so if He loves us, will He not answer that? And why then, if that is the case, does He wait at times? Why did they have to wait for His healing? Well, honestly, we're not given an answer right here in this narrative, are we? Why did that woman wait for 12 years? But here's where I think a little bit of our study in John 9 and John 11 
can help us out a little bit. You remember Brent's studies as we've gone to John 9 and John 11. There's a man born blind in John 9. And in John 11, there is Lazarus. Mary and Martha calling to Jesus, come heal him, please. And Jesus waits on purpose. Why in both situations does Jesus say this is happening? Why? Why? The glory of God. The glory of God needs to be revealed in this situation. Everything about those situations, everything about the timing and how Jesus did this was for the glory of God. Jesus responded to their situations in the timing and in that way so that God's glory might be most clearly displayed to those people and to us today. But wasn't that for the benefit of those that were healed Even if it took time, even if it took suffering, yes. This is not for God saying, well, I just want my glory to be displayed so I just look awesome for myself and I feel really good about myself. No. This is for our good. This is for our good for God's glory to be displayed. Yes, and Jesus knows that even if God's glory is displayed when our pain has to be a part of that story. Why? Because we often see God's greatness most clearly in our desperation. We most clearly see God's greatness in our desperation. Something we talked about a couple of weeks ago when we studied Mark chapter 6 with the faith in the storm. And so then I I believe that this teaches us an awesome lesson about prayer. Knowing God's infinite love and infinite power to handle any strife and knowing that God has the awesome compassion to use that power for our good, I believe this should give us more confidence in prayer than ever. Because if, If God is infinitely powerful and if God is infinitely loving, I believe that this means that by definition, if He is infinitely powerful and loving, this means that every time faithful Christians go to our God and pray with unwavering faith, we will receive exactly what we request our God to give us. Unless, unless... It is greater for His glory, unless it is greater for His glory to be displayed elsewhere and at another time, or to not give exactly what we desire. You know, sometimes that kind of happens a lot, doesn't it? But I don't believe that we can settle for anything less than this. I don't believe that it is possible for us to say, like I have said Myself and my own mind in the past. Well, my God is infinitely powerful and my God is infinitely loving, but sometimes for no reason at all, He just doesn't answer my prayers. That's not, that does not, that's not satisfying to me. That's not the message that the Gospels give us. That's not the message that the New Testament writers give us about prayer, is it, Christians? And we know it. Time and again, time and again, we are given confidence in prayer. Jesus says it in Matthew chapter 7. What? Ask and it will be given to you. James chapter 1, the passage that George read for us in the very beginning. Ask for wisdom and what? It will be given to the one who asks. 
We can have absolute confidence that every time a faithful Christian prays to the Lord out of a pure heart with unwavering faith that God will answer our request unless it is better for His glory. There is always a reason. There is always a reason. And so that ought to give us a little insight into what's going on then when prayers are not answered immediately. Certainly, certainly we've got to understand, I want to throw this out there, sometimes our prayers relate to the will of another person. God can't force another person's will to change. He can cause things to happen and you hope that they change. But I do want to throw that disclaimer out there. Sometimes our prayers are something that require us to act and other people to act as well. And God does not force or uh, put robots. uh, He doesn't force us to do things like robots. And so if you're praying for someone to come to God, I do want you to know, I'm not saying that if you just had enough faith, they would change too. And that would be for God's glory, certainly. There are situations like that. But I think that we should have awesome, awesome, awesome confidence in our prayer otherwise. In our, in prayer then. Because unless... Unless God has a reason, we are told time and again in Scripture that He will answer. And that should tell us that if it's not being answered, there is a reason and that should cause us to use that situation for God's glory and ask why is it that's not being given. But notice, uh, we could go to many passages, but turn to James chapter 5. Turn to James chapter 5. Again, I've mentioned many passages that give us this confidence in prayer that God will, will answer our prayer, the prayer of faith. But I want to show you another passage. Let's go to a specific passage. There's things like Mark 7, Luke 18, James 1. We can go on and on and on. But notice Mark, James chapter 5. James chapter 5 and verses 15 through 18. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months... It did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. I believe this ought to give us great and awesome confidence. We are not praying to a somewhat loving and somewhat powerful God who randomly answers prayers when he feels like it. Our God is listening. Our God is watching and he desires to give us what we ask. God is a father that is better than the fathers of this earth. And he does desire to give us what we ask, Christians. We can have the confidence to know that if he does not give us what we ask, it is not because of neglect or indecision. God has decided in his wisdom to display his love and his glory in another way. And that's what this woman and this man Jairus eventually found in their situations and in their suffering. And so in the midst of your turmoil with these conclusions on our mind, pray. Pray with these awesome scenes of divine power and the divine love of our Lord on your mind. And trust, trust in this awesome power of a divinely compassionate God. And our prayers will be answered with the Lord's wisdom.
I hope this is helpful for you. I hope this is helpful for you as you pursue faith in your life. And if there is not, if there is someone here that is going through something and they are needing their faith to be bolstered, they're needing the prayers of this congregation on behalf of their faith, that the Lord might show glory in their life, in your life. That your faith might be bolstered. Talk to us about that so we can be praying for you in that. Because the prayer of faith, the prayer of faith will save the one that is sick. The prayer of faith will forgive the one who is ailing in sin. And so if you are going through something, if you're going through sin in your life that you need to talk to us about, that you need prayers for, talk to us about it so that we can use this awesome, awesome tool of prayer that God will answer us in and pray for you as a whole congregation of righteous people praying on your behalf for our Lord, for he will listen. If there's any way we can help you in your situation and your walk with God, please come forward to the front while we stand and while we sing.